Welcome to The Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with the creators of Golf Blueprint, Kevin Moore and Nico Daris. Nico Daris is a former All-American collegiate pitcher who suffered a career-ending shoulder injury just one month before the Major League Draft. Instead of the big leagues, Nico earned a master's in social innovation from the University of San Diego. He wrote his master's thesis on the link between elite male athletes and sexual violence. He's currently pursuing a PhD in organizational leadership at Pepperdine University's Graduate School of Education and Psychology. Nico took up the game of golf at the ripe old age of 23. Within two years, he became a scratch golfer and is now a competitive player on the Outlaw Tour in Scottsdale, Arizona. Kevin Moore, a.k.a. The Professor, is a tenured professor of mathematics at the University of Georgia. After playing D1 collegiate golf, Kevin stepped away from the game for a decade to complete his master's and doctoral studies in applied mathematics, analytics, education, and psychology. He's now a competitive amateur who has played in multiple USGA championships and occasionally caddies on the professional tours. Kevin also happens to be my college roommate and the chief ambassador for New Club Golf Society. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. What Nico and Kevin are doing with Golf Blueprint has fascinated many of our members, along with some of the best coaches and players around the country. But as someone who has honestly never really enjoyed or made much time for his own practice, uh, often leaving the range out of breath and unsure of how I spent my time, let's just say I was super excited to have this deep dive and I could finally ask Kevin and Nico some of my questions. Speaking of getting excited, our annual spring meeting at Sweetens Cove, I can't believe I'm going to say this, is only five weeks away. And the fine gentleman we'll be hearing from in this episode, Golf Blueprint, is the official partner of this year's spring meeting. If you're a member of New Club, you can sign up directly in the app for your Golf Blueprint exclusive package, which includes six Golf Blueprint practice plans delivered monthly at a 25% discount compared to the standard membership. If you're not a member of New Club, you can head over to golfblueprint.com to learn more. Without further ado, on to the show with Kevin Moore, Nico Doris of Golf Blueprint. Nico, Kevin, welcome to the backdrop. Matthew, good to see you as always, especially those yes. long, those long flowing locks of yours. Thank you. I've embraced COVID in a in a big way with the uh, the flow. I think it started with the the wife just saying, "I look like the guy from This Is Us," and now it's just oh yeah, she, it's gone out of control. She's like, "Are, are you gonna take care of that any day, any day I, soon?" I'm jealous. Nico did a mullet too during COVID. Meanwhile, my hair just gets thinner and thinner, and I sit here on Zoom debating whether I should just just get rid of it. Let's just no let's way. just talk. Dude, I let the mullet ride for a solid eight months of COVID, and it got out of control. It looked <laughs> just like I know people can't. Are people gonna be able to see this, or are they just hearing it? Uh, we're gonna release it on YouTube as well. Okay, so so a really good comparison was Danny McBride. And I realized that my life was trending in that direction too much. And I needed to re-steer to a, to, to a business person. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, I, I think there was a moment where I'm like, I, we, I can't be a partner with you anymore. <laughs> like, I just can't look at you seriously. We went, so bad. Well, and, and you, you add on to it, your, uh, your presence on the beautiful beaches of Hawaii. 
you kind of very risky, probably embracing that full lifestyle. Yeah. So teetering the edge, man. We, uh, we at Golf Blueprint really like to ride the lightning on uh, pushing the boundaries. <laughs> well, despite, despite hair choices, you guys have been able to get a lot done in the young life of your company. And I think that's what we want to talk a lot about today is Golf Blueprint, what you guys have come up with. Um, you got a ton of our members already using it. And uh, I think those that aren't are already very curious about um, you know, what the rest of us are doing. So that's kind of spurred our, our discussion. Uh, before we dive in, I think the origin of how you guys became partners in this venture is, is pretty cool. Um, can you walk us through how you two actually met? Kev, you want to go? I think you're the one that starts us off the best. Okay. So I was playing in a uh, mini tour event on, I'll never forget it. It was a Friday. I was driving home. I just shot even par my first mini tour event ever. I shot 72 birdied 18. And I lost by 11. Um, and I'm driving home just like depressed going, what the hell am I going to do next? How do I get better? And coincidentally, Kev was a guest on Andy's show, the fried egg. And I was listening to it and I was just like, man, this, this seems like something that's up my alley, right? I'm a doctoral student. Kev's a professor of mathematics, teaches applied mathematics. And I was like, this is something that I think could really you know, resonate in my game at the time. I think Kev was only working with pros. And so I really just leveraged like the student card with him. And I shot him an email from my Pepperdine account. So hopefully it would, you know, pass through some of the filters. And at that point, I'd been in school for like two weeks. And I was really, really leveraging the, the student part. But Kevin, I shot him an email and, and Kevin, and I started as client student and I think Kev can take it from there really. Yeah. So, so Nico shoots me a message. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll take, take you on. That's, you know, talk strategy, that's talk game management sort of stuff. And uh, to be honest, that got, that finished pretty quickly. It was like two, three sessions of talking to each other. And, and the reason for that is that Nico will never, he just always tells himself short. Um, in many ways, and but in one of the ways he's not sure is how far he hits the ball. I mean, it is like he is like why we're going to roll back the technology. People like Nico is why we're we're taking it back, right? I see like, that speed. You're everybody speed. else in the golf game. I don't care. Like, let's just take it back because Nico can't hit it that far. No, seriously though. Like, I mean, he's like a 340, like without stepping on it. If he wants 340, it's there. And so in the strategy stuff, uh, it became pretty quick like it's like dude we just gotta get your dispersion down and once your dispersion is down if there's not a hazard up there you're sending it and, and so he's doing that and playing great but the scoring wasn't there so it was like all right like the only explanation of this with how far you hit it is is your wedge game frankly stinks like there's no it's like no my wedge game's fine like no it's gotta it's gotta stink pr pretty pretty bad uh and so then he's like okay yeah it actually does and so from there we started thinking like okay we gotta target your wedge game for practice like that's just let's just really dial that in and see if we can get you good. So he then brought up part of his doc studies. I'll, I'll flip it over to him about something he was learning there. And once you take over Nico and talk about what, what we brought into for your game. Yeah. So pretty hilarious. Uh, the way turn life turns, I had been dating this girl for almost a year, pretty seriously. And we broke up and I was so sad. I read all of my assignments for the weekend. Like I read two books because I was just like sitting there depressed. And literally in one of the books, this, this guy named Dr. Uh, Major, his, his work is on criterion referenced instruction. And a light bulb just kind of went off in my head. And I said, what if we applied this idea of CRI 
to golf. And I remember after one of the sessions with Kev, I, I just kind of cold pitched him this idea of, hey, man, I think that we can apply learning theory to golf. And I wanted to originally do it as a paper for school and, you know, like submit it to a journal. I remember I sent it to Kev and I didn't hear from him for like a week or two. And I was like, all right, well, you know, so be it, whatever. And two weeks later, he called me and he's like, hey, man, do, do you want to like try this as a business? And I never thought of golf as a business. I am new to golf, right? It's not something that I've really ever thought about. And then fast forward a couple months later, Kev flies out to Arizona right before COVID. I think you were the last week, right? Last week. Yeah. Like I, I rode on a pretty full plane and I left me and Claire, my wife are jokingly like we like say our CEO of golf blueprint. Um, we left on an empty plane going on the way back. Yeah, it was crazy. So Kev flies out to Arizona, meets all my buddies. We have one of the most fun rounds. We played, I think we played like 36 holes. We played everywhere, had a blast. And uh, I'll never forget this. Kev was playing in our, in our five ball. We're on 18, drivable par five. And at this point, like all my buddies like Kev, right? But it's kind of new. Kev and I don't really know each other. We're playing with a kid. He's a high school All-American. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's me and my buddy, professional caddy, I don't know how to say the smack talk that this kid has <laughs> mentally puts you in a pretzel before you're on the tee. Anyways, this high school kid, it's it's Kevin, the high school kid versus me and the professional caddy. Kid smashes one down the middle, like 360. He's got a nine iron into the par five. And my buddy is screaming at him right. at the top of his lungs on a Friday. The whole country club is out there screaming at this kid as Kev is trying to soothe this child into hitting a nine iron into a par five. And I was like, I like that guy. That guy's going to be my partner. <laughs> and and if, I, if I remember right to give them both uh, non-credit and credit, the nine iron was not not very good. But then, was, the chip, but then the chip shot he hit was one of the sickest chip shots I've ever seen in my life. He like oh. stone, he almost hit it on like a driving range, I think the nine iron, and he stone dead in an impossible chip to like two inches. Dude, the, the professional caddy, my buddy Dean, he goes, he never says the word shank. It's a baby fade that just starts right and goes right. And he hit the baby fade and we were, I was on my back in the middle of the 18th fairway in tears laughing. And then sure enough, the kid is Gavin chipped it to a, an inch and beat us. And we were crying laughing. And I was like, all right, Kev's the man. That's my guy. His it, soothing is a great word for Kevin yeah. Moore out there on the golf course. He does. He, the way he speaks, the um, having him on your bag is an asset just yeah. mentally, uh, obviously analytically, mathematically, but that soothing is a good word for it dude he was just he was doing his best and dean if you're listening to this you're a psychopath and i can't wait to play with you again but i'm not looking forward to playing against him like it's it's too much you know it's uh and and um you know obviously knowing kevin very well and, and growing up playing a lot of golf with him uh being teammates in college uh knowing his kind of come back to the game you know kevin you've you've talked on the podcast before uh you're one of the first repeat guests by the way a high yeah. honor to have yeah, you've talked you've talked about the bottom of the barrel to get people to come back huh <laughs> yeah we <laughs> really scraping for us no we, we would it wouldn't have happened without nico here but you know i i think what's interesting about your guys partnership and um i'll actually draw a comparison to new club we have two 
two archetypes of members, people that are passionate about golf that want to join. It's the people that are coming back to it and the people that are getting into it. And I think what's interested about um, your guys' partnership is, as Kevin was kind of, I'll, I'll say, completing your your return to golf. Hopefully, you won't lead up, leave us again for a decade, Kevin. Well, but you, well, you were, well. as you were com- returning, you meet a guy like Nico who is like a hundred and ten percent all in and just kind of you know starting it uh, in in a way, in a way, right? So tell tell me about that, like that that juxtaposition for you guys, like that that you have. How has that played out in your partnership? Well, I'll start first because I think it's important for people to know in terms of Nico's background. I'll keep it short because I'm sure he'll talk more about it later. But like, yeah, Nico's incredibly new to the game, brought to the game because he, he won't brag on himself. I'm sure he wouldn't tell this part of the story when asked. But like he was going to be a professional baseball player, a pitcher is what he was going to be. Right. And had that taken him away from him because of an injury. And you can imagine, Matt, you've played you know, competitively, like having that pulled away from you is a terrible thing that have happened. And he then found golf, right? And that, that brought him into that. Um, but then flipping to your question, like, I know one of the things it does, it brings us, I find it, like, I'm so embedded in the game, right? I've been in it since I was, I could I could even remember, right? Then coming back into it, I went full-fledged architecture, the professional game, the analytics, like, I mean, I deep dove everything. Um, so my perspective is very tainted by that. Like, there's a lot of things I think about I don't even know I'm thinking about. And so having Nico in with more newer perspective, we're able to push each other in different ways because we're bringing truly different perspectives to the game all the way down that we play the game very differently. Like the way Nico attacks in the game is incredibly different to me because of our skill sets. They're, they're almost polar opposites uh, in most facets of our game. So we're able to look at it very differently and, you know, have to like really work to understand each other, which I also think is, I also think helps us, you know, work to understand, you know, the, every golfer that's out there because we're bringing these different per, uh, perspectives in. Yeah, kind of like Kev said, piggybacking on that. The cool thing is I this March will be my fourth year playing and coming new to the game, just excited and stoked about learning. Kev's been a wonderful teacher for me and we always laugh. I'm going to teach him one day about baseball stats and, you know, all the, the, stro- the strokes gain version of baseball because Kev's taught me about golf architecture and little things that, that I nuances of the game that you wouldn't have picked up unless you have somebody who's, you know, educated in it deeply. But I think the cool thing that Kev's done with me is Kev will just let me throw out ideas. And then we, we talk about them from origin. One of the most foundational things of golf blueprint is that we're not really that concerned about your swing. And for most golf, like teachers, Kev and I aren't golf teachers we are academics that have figured out a more effective way to basically practice. And I give Kev all that credit because I threw out this crazy idea of like, Hey, I don't think your swing's all that important. And Kev let me run with that and then pushed me. And then I pushed Kev back. And it's been a really cool iteration of basically starting from imagine someone who knows virtually nothing about golf. Like I, I, I never played when I was growing up. My sister played college golf. It was her deal. And then now I'm all of a sudden, you know, grown up learning the game. And I have this great teacher and friend now who helps me learn. Yeah. Nico, how often would you conjecture? We've talked about each other's swings to like actually working on our swings to each other. I think maybe like once or twice, like genuinely maybe once or twice. Yeah. Ignoring like your little foray with the Bryson one plane swing where we talked yeah. about a little bit like. 
Yeah. yeah. Like Nico had that relationship. Like instead we talk about like, I love one of my favorite things that Nico talks about is his perspective on fairways. What's your perspective on fairways? Okay. Okay. So, so there's short grass and there's tall grass. There's, there's, there's no such thing as a fairway. It's just grass because like, for me, it's just like, what difference does it make if I don't hit it out of bounds, if I don't hit it in the you know bunker, like Kev's taught me a bunker is a half stroke penalty, but otherwise you just hit it in the short of the tall stuff. It's whatever. Yeah. Like if a course is completely self-contained, like, you know, just only outer property for the course. I mean, the whole course is a fairway for Nika. Just like figure it out there. <laughs> and meanwhile, like the way I play, it's like, no, that that 150 <laughs> marker, like that's what I'm going for. And if I don't hit, if I don't bounce my drive off that, I'm 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 angry. Drag up. Oh, Slightly different drag. approach. Slightly different. Um and you 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 mentioned not being swing coaches. I think that's uh, you know, when I've described this in the past to to people, I think they ask. Uh, you know, are they PGA guys? Are they swing coaches? And, and you guys are um, insistent on always reminding people that you're not, which I think is, is great. Because uh, I know you've also worked with other swing coaches and, and when you're working with your players. But um, my question is, if you're not swing coaches, how are you helping people get better? And, and that came directly from one of our members. He's like, hey, if they're not swing coaches, how are they helping people get better? So what's, what do you say to that? Oof. That's such a good question. And we want to, first of all, like, I think it's really important, important for us. Kev works with guys. I've worked with swing coaches in the past. We're in a, we always say this to people. We're the addition to your swing coach. We're not in competition. We are not a part of the PGA, but we have PGA coaches who work for us. They are a part of our membership. We help them out. We're, we're one big kind of happy family. If you think about it in terms of your total golf game, it's like anything in life. You need things that complement each other. In all of our golf blueprint programs, there's time to work on your swing. We understand it's important. We're not, we're, not, we're, we're kind of wild and crazy in a lot of ways, but we also understand that you need that dedicated time to, to work on your swing. But Kev, go ahead and take the, how are we helping people get better question? Yeah, I'm trying to think of all the different angles that we we can take that in terms of, you know, the way we've designed golf blueprint and, you know, the, the learning, the learning theories I've got onto its foundation, as well as the analytics that we we've pumped into it. But I think the the most crisp way of saying it, I think actually DJ Pajowski made this original comparison for us with, without us thinking about it is like, think of like you going to a gym, like why do you hire a personal trainer when you go to a gym? Well, you hire a personal trainer because they know the things you need to do to get better and then that version of better is to get stronger if that's cardio if that's certain muscles or to get more flexibility right they know the sequences of things you should be doing with us that's our goal with golf blueprint right we want to be able to give players no matter your level um no matter how long you've been with the game we want to give you a sequence uh, of column drills of sessions that you know when you go to the course i'm doing what i need to do to get better today I'm going through a sequence that when I get finished up, I can leave. If it's a 60-minute session, a 75-minute session, a 45-minute session, whatever it is, like I accomplished my goal and I'm doing, I'm going through the process of getting better uh, and I can be confident in that. You know, that's our, our main goal is to give players that confidence and give them the things to do so that is occurring. Yeah, building on what Kev said, it's a lot of the, the dorky side of us is it's cognitive offloading at its, at its core. And it's eliminating the reactionary version of practice. A lot of times when we talk to people, they'll say, 
you know, you come off the driving range or you come off your, your round and you sliced one ball off, you know, on 18 to lose the match. My driving is terrible. Well, no, you hit 13 balls in the fairway prior to that. You know, Kev always likes to tell that story of, of we're not reactionary. This is looking at, and, and Kev's the data analytics guy here, totally. I've learned this from him. It's large sample sizes where Golf Blueprint's algorithm is written for sessions to build upon one another. One shot isn't important, but a thousand shots over a season is really important and tells us a lot. And Kev, you want to dive into that? That's, that's your world. Yeah, like uh, Nico mentioned, I like the drive example uh, as a great one. So, and I always use a specific one that was in my case that really helped clarify this perspective uh, of, of what I, you know, what golfers often do. When I qualify for the mid-am, I hit two drives in opposite fairways and I shot 66 that round, right? Like I hit great shots from there. And so I walked away with that round like thinking it was great. Well, if I had actually, if those had been out of bounds rather than the fairway, you know what I would have done? I would have probably been like, wow, my driving's terrible. Like I need to go to work on my driving, but they weren't out of bounds. I shot 66. So I walked away thinking like, oh, I played great today. And it's like, actually it was neither of those cases, right? Like it wasn't great driving and it wasn't bad driving. It was just one round and I had two squirrely tee balls and all the other ones were good. So it was really thinking about like, okay, in terms of all the knowledge we've gained recently, especially through Brody strokes gain and the people that have ran with that, we have good insights into what makes a quality player and where do players lose strokes and where do players gain strokes so we've, and where can they get better depending on their handicap class in any single round or even a single month of golf isn't going to really tell you what you need to do. Even the strokes gain data itself can be very misleading because, well, as your approach game changes, your putting, your putting can change too because you're seeing different putting lengths. Um, so we really worked hard to try to remove all that noise for the golfer, right? Let us, me and Nico take that off the golfer's shoulder and put something in place that no, you don't even have to worry about how you've done the last couple of rounds. Like that doesn't matter. Just stick to it. Like keep working at what we have you working on and you're going to get that incremental progress. We've been very lucky to see a lot of our members see really quick gains, but we've always told them like, this is not a three month thing. Like your golf game, you got to give it 12 months. You got to give it 24 months. And that's when you see changes over your golf game and you can see some permanent changes and improvements, especially when you're moving from like that, that awesome range of a 10 to 18 handicapper and you're trying to get through that threshold and then start moving towards scratch. I mean, that is a process and that's not going to happen overnight. Just like Kev said with the strokes gain piece, it doesn't really tell us anything. And the, the tricky part of what Golf Blueprint was designed was to solve that problem of now that we have some data and golf's very behind other sports, baseball, in my opinion, is the best in terms of the data that they're using. But now that we have that, what then? Okay, so I'm losing two shots around the green. But like Kev said, maybe you're hitting more fairways. Maybe you're giving yourself more approach shots. And one of the biggest things of, of to, to circle back to your question of how do we get better? Kevin, I've gone to a lot of school to make it very simple. Behind the scenes of every golf blueprint plan is the algorithm. The algorithm was written through Kev's data analytics and, and the learning theory and the whole nine yards where we've made some bold inferences about golfers needs. Putting Kev, do you want to talk about putting at all? I think putting's a great example. I mean, because most people will say they're bad putters. Like, and one, it's one area of the game people are actually probably the most honest about. 
Um, we can talk about some other areas that none of us are honest about, including Nico's wedge game or, you know, a typical drive. like Carry yardage or, off the tee. Oh, yeah, yardage off the tee. Everybody hits at 295. Um, meanwhile, my trackman numbers say I'm currently carrying at about 257. Uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you, I hit 290 just to make myself feel better for sure. Um, no, but like putting is a great example. Like at least most people are honest about it, but it's e that's an easy one to overreact to and think like, okay, I need to do these things. I've missed these putts or I'm three putting for 45 feet without thinking like, okay, well, what's like, do you have proximity issues with your game? Right. Like, well, let's use Nico just because we've talked about his game so much. Like he was a badge wedge player hitting a lot of wedges to 25 feet. And he comes off thinking, well, man, I didn't make any birdie putts today. So he goes, let's say he goes and grinds on the green for an hour. Well, if he had moved to, working on his wedges, that proximity would get down to, you know, a lot of 15, 20 footers. And that's when we want to diagnose the putter putting. We want to get to that level and say, okay, now that you're hitting a lot of 15, 20 footers, we can actually, the strokes gain data is going to be a little bit more relevant because we can actually use it to say, okay, we've got the other areas dialed in. Oh, you're still losing putting strokes. Now we need to address that. Oh, wait, all of a sudden your strokes gain just went from negative to positive. And all it was was a proximity change. You just had too many 30 footers and you're not a great, 30, you're not Jordan Speed, so you're not a great 30 foot putter. But we don't need to worry about those that much because you're not going to see many of them now that we've dialed in your, your, your wedge game. So it's really being careful about what we respond to and what data we actually listen to um, is something we try to be, we try to be really, really careful with. There's, there's so many aspects of this that I'm fascinated with. Um, and I'm never going to wrap my head around your algorithm. So I'm not going to really try to dive in there and, and nitpick away at it. Um, nor would you guys let me probably, but, uh, but the biggest variable or the biggest input is the player. Right. And, um, I think about golf blueprint and how it works for, for me. And I'm, I'll put myself in, in the category with you guys, you guys are good players you know, and, and I think there might be a little bit of a uh, people kind of look at it at, at first and say, well, you know, I, I don't even I'm not that good. I'm a 15 handicap. I, I probably need to figure out how why I slice the ball before I get to a better practice plan. So my question is, who is golf blueprint for? And is it is it right now where you guys are currently at? Because I know you've made a ton of modifications and updates and the algorithm gets better with every player and data. But um is it, is it changing in a way of, of who is it, who is it for? Did it start for good players? Is it um, getting more applicable to everybody or is it, has it been from day one? What's your thoughts? So I'll start that and then I'll kick it to Kev. Golf Blueprint started for Kevin and I. I was Golf Blueprint's first client. We didn't start this as a business to make money. Making money has been an accidental result of the success of like basically the program working. I was our first client and I'm the first one to say that it worked for me, right? Uh, you know, the, <laughs> I'm the infomercial guy, like it works. But then we tried it on Kev because we said to each other, hey, I, I think it's working for me. I'm going to the driving range every day and practicing with a purpose. And I feel regardless of whether or not Golf Blueprint works in the beginning, it gave me that placebo effect. In the end, obviously the data showed it, but I felt better about my game and everyone knows if you feel better, you're going to play better. And now we have the data to prove it. So, so Kev can talk about who is golf blueprint for, but we always start with, it was designed for us. It was designed for each individual user of golf blueprint to experience it. 
Kev was the second client of Golf Blueprints. So Kev, who, who's Golf Blueprint for? Like, get into that. I mean, the simple, an- the simple answer is everyone, right? Yeah. We have a really, really nice range of people. Let me actually pull up some of the most recent data. Um, give me half a second because I actually have it right in front of me. And while, while you're doing it, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, the uh, Nico, your point on showing up and having a plan. I've, I've played the game for as long as I can remember. I've done a ton of practice hours. And that first time I called both you guys, uh, that first time in the summer, my first golf blueprint, I don't even think it was specific to me, to be honest, but there, there was the freedom of having that, that cognitive freedom, right. That I didn't have to decide. And, and what it showed me very quickly was how reactionary I could be right? I, I, maybe I'm, I'm working on my wedges and I remember that, that hooked drive on 18, two days ago and I jumped straight to my driver or, yeah. or I just got in the flow, the motion of man, I was playing good last month and I had a practice session that I did this. And then, uh, I just, I just started to realize, wow, how often do I do that? How long have I been doing this? Just the, the pot, the thoughts that pop into my head, as Kevin knows, my ADD can kind of win the day sometimes. And, um, and that freedom of showing up, knowing that, you know what, I'm gonna stick to this plan. It's going to be fun. It's going to be engaging. And, um, that, that was my biggest early benefit, but back to Kevin, we, you were, uh, pulling up the data for who, who golf blueprints for. Yeah, I think so right now, 55% of our memberships between a handicap of seven and 16. Um, and I think that's something Nico, we were really lucky at the beginning of golf blueprint with our sort of, we like to call them our bespoke members. Like we had a really great wide range of members early on in terms of their handicaps, their playing ability, how long they'd been with the game. And we got to learn a ton from them during that time period where it's like, okay, like we can help any golfer. Right. I mean, we're working with you, Matt, like we're, we're high level players to begin with Nico and I ourselves. Right. But I think one of the things that we've really developed a passion for is just helping any golfer that's trying to get better out there. And especially that person that's been hovering at, you know, that call it a five to 15 handicap that they've been hovering there for, I don't know, five, 10, 15 years and just not seeing the dividends. They might be seeing a swing coach or whatever. Um, Cause I think those are some of our most exciting stories when we get that person that, that texts us or calls cause they just won a Thursday skins game, right. That they've, that's one of our favorite stories, right. They just first time in their life, they cashed a Thursday skin. And that's just, I mean, that's super exciting for Nico and I, um, especially Nico being a new golfer too, right? He's, he's able to help me remember what that's like to like have something happen for the first time in golf. Uh, and that's just so cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. We have, we have our tour guys that are great and we love them, but they're looking to shave an eighth of a shot here, <clears throat> a quarter of a shot here and it works and it's effective and, and they follow it. But Matt, the, they're struggling with the same thing that you are. It's, it's not that they're all of a sudden reactionary. They have a team around them. The, the guy hitting balls by himself at the driving range, who's a 12 handicap, doesn't have a physio, a swing coach, a track man, you know, all those things. And yet they're still trying to shoot better scores. I think Kev said, I think those guys are our, our, our little victory favorites. The guy who shoots his best score in, uh, you know, Saturday skins game or whatever it was. One of our clients the other day, new client, slam dunked a, a deuce and cashed out in his skins game. And we were so pumped. It's the little victories. And, and one thing that Kevin and I really focused on with Golf Blueprint is small wins, big build, build big momentum. Mm-hmm. And that's every day in practice, 
you're winning. You're, you're competing against yourself. Every card is designed that they have an outcome goal in mind. That's the foundation of golf blueprint and the foundation of criterion reference instruction. You learn, you test, and then you learn. And being able to, the user doesn't really realize what's going on behind the scenes, but it's all working towards a bigger plan, which is what you're like the feeling that you're describing is so cool to Kevin and I from the research aspect of being like, dude, like it works. Yeah. It's so cool. You know? <laughs> and, I, and I've, uh, you've been so curious on all this for a while. So I uh, want to shout out to Kyle Smith, a member of ours is uh, deep in the process with you guys. Oh. Uh, but I look at the cards. Like I, I was like, let me see your cards. You know, what, what are you, what are you working on? Um, because I think there's, there's uh, it, it's show I, I'm trying to find like, what's the pattern here? You know, what, what is the algorithm? And, and his cards are totally different than mine, you know? And, and I, so I know there's, there's probably hundreds, if not, thousands of cards that you guys have at this point, which for everyone listening, cards are drills in their, in their world, uh, basically. Um, but I want to know, are there any commonalities you see, uh, amongst, you know, you're talking about the guys you have on tour all the way to the 12 handicap, the 20 handicap, are there commonalities you guys see? In other words, are there areas of the game or these cards that you find almost all golfers, uh, benefit from at the end of the day? Kev, you want to go there? Yeah, we have we have our favorites. We have our favorites yeah. that seem to be resounding success across all all of our all of our members. Um, so maybe I'll speak personally first, and Nigo can add in his too. Because we one of the things that is most enjoyable for us behind the scenes, we get to interject our own personality into these, right? So like when Nico and I sit down creating a creating a golf blueprint. I mean, we're going back and forth. We're talking about our members more than anybody else in the world probably has ever talked about them. Right. And we're, you know, arguing about what they should be doing, you know, about this. And, and I, I consider myself a wedge guy. And that's, 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 that's a wedge guy. That I'm a wedge guy, right? Like I love <laughs> deep diving the wedges. So like the Bermuda triangle and the interstate and the will, like those are like for, it's okay. So rewind into your question then like, from then the philosophy of golf blueprint, what's informing it? Like, why are those important cards? Like, why do we we hit those wedge ones every time? Well, face control is a thing in golf, and no matter who you are as a golfer, one of the best areas to like get in tune with face control is through your wedge work and really doing variable practice with your wedges and just learning learning those because of the weight of the club, just how long it is. You can just feel it a lot more there. So it doesn't matter what handicap you are. That's a great time, but that's often the time, you know, most golfers look at wedges as just the things to get loose, right? Ah, it's just to get loose. So let me hit my five, but let me get to my nine iron. Let me get to my seven iron and let me get to the driver, right? Like they're just pushing to get through to the driver or to the other clubs where it's like, no, like that's, I mean, there's times sometimes, and I know Nico and I both did this, we might only hit wedges for an entire range session. And that might be all we do. And it's not because we need to practice our wedges necessarily, but because like, for working on our swing and feeling things like that's a huge thing to do. So that's why like every golf blueprint is basically going to, it's wedges are going to be decent amount. Um, then that might not be wedge majority at all. Rarely is that, but it's always going to get strict attention in everybody's golf blueprint. There's going to be that. It's just going to range. Some people might get, you know, that much other people might get that much attention on it. Yeah. Like Kev was saying with, there's some similarities because all golf, right? There's, there's basically there's five areas of the game. 
you know, you have your, your driving, your approach, your, your short game, your wedges. We specify wedges as its own area of the game and then putting. And the algorithm weights each one accordingly to the user. And as you said, yours are different than Kyle's. And that's how they should be because you two are very different players and you have very different goals and outcomes, et cetera. And to, to get back to the wedges, Kev, tell them about your, pre, your pre-round routine. Because I think that's a pretty interesting thing that a lot of people talk to us about too, where they say, okay, great, I'm practicing when do I do a golf blueprint? And one of, we have only really, we're, look, I had a mullet for most of COVID. We're not really big on rules, right? Not really our thing, but we have a hard, steadfast rule. You don't do golf blueprint before you play. That's not the time. So Kev, talk a little bit about why you hit wedges before you play. Yeah. So again, on that rule, that is a very strict rule. We always tell people like, go practice after you play. If you're going to do a golf blueprint and you're playing on the same day, Either do the blueprint, go eat lunch, and then warm up and go play, or play and then go do your blueprint. Do not go straight from your golf blueprint to playing. Um, reason for that is because you're getting ready to play. Like, do what you need to do to get ready to play. You don't practice and then play. That's just not a no. Back, back to the the uh, gym analogy, you're not going to put in your full workout before you play a basketball game or your, you know. Exactly. Like LeBron's going to do that at six in the morning or Tiger's going to go run at two in the morning, whatever he's going to tell you he's doing. Right. And then give him enough time to, to get back into like tournament mode. But yeah. So like to go into the warm up, then like warm ups are very unique to everybody. What do I do? Cause of, you know, our philosophy of golf blueprint and then some other things, you know, I think about in terms of the game, I get there and I hit about 10 to 15 pitches with a 50, 60 degree, about 60 yards. Then I take that out to 80 yards. Then I hit a few more at 95. Then I hit pitching wedges. And a few seven irons and I go to the tee. I don't hit anything above a seven iron when I warm up because I know that's enough to get know where my face control is at for the day, where my swing's at. My driver is typically a strength. I don't hit it long, so I don't need to get super loose or anything like that. I'm a straight driver. And that's all I do. Or just Nico has a very different approach to, to warming up for sure. Yeah, I shotgun a monster and go just mash drivers <laughs> in the range and <laughs> let out a Bryce no! at the end. <laughs> 202 i've actually actually got a video of him doing that yeah and and my routine is pretty similar to kev where yeah i start with my wedge my pitching wedge i go to a seven and i hit a couple drivers off the deck that's really big for me and feeling the feeling the bottom driver off the deck kev's the wedge guy To, to quote kev and i think it's our best one ever Golf blueprint is to wedges and ball striking what crab cakes is to Maryland and football. And that is just like our, we're putting it on everything. We're going to logo it. Like we love merch, obviously. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so for me, mine's a little bit more driver centered when I'm getting loose. I do driver off the deck. That's really important for me. And, and one of the best ways that I've found maintaining speed to be able to keep my ball in a corridor, Kev's window is a little bit tighter than mine. My dispersion with my, basically fairway finder swing 65 yards with the whatever you want to call it the swing out of my shoes it's probably closer to 80 and so I I need to know where that window is so when I step on the first tee all right I've hit a couple but I'm not out there hitting more than 15 20 balls we're not grinding and practicing in the whole nine before we go play just have fun go tee it man you guys are are kind of uh, alluding to my next question because I think you know um your approach being so analytic and data driven, uh, have you had any pushback from the anti analytics crowd, which 
if I'm being honest with myself, I'm probably in there most of the time, at least for my own game, right? Like you throw too many numbers at me. I get totally out of the wrong side of my brain and I stop my feels go to crap and I, and I just, I, I suffer. So I, I know that about myself. I know it's on the back end, all this, analytics, but have you guys got any criticism from like the anti-analytic folk that say kind of like old school baseball coaches in a way, Nico, right? That they, it's, it's still a field game and you're never going to uh, be anything different. How, have you got any pushback on that? I'll, I'll, I'll start this one. I think the coolest thing is I'm in your camp. If you follow Golf Blueprint on Instagram, I play 70% of my rounds barefoot and I'll use two clubs, right? So we are the antithesis of shoot your lowest score every single day because that is how golf is meant to be played. There's that camp. There's Golf Blueprint where the end goal of every client is their own end goal. Maybe it is to win a Thursday skins game. Maybe it's just to, when we started golf blueprint, it was, I had a buddy who didn't want to embarrass himself in front of his boss. What does that mean to him? That doesn't mean he needs to shoot 64 in a Monday qualifier and get in. He just wanted to be able to shoot a 90 and not cold top one. That was success for him. Success for Kev was getting in the mid amp. Success for me is going to be, hopefully getting, you know, status one day on McKenzie or Latin America or whatever it is, but it's unique to each person. So yeah, that we are not score oriented and, and I'll give a really good example. Why I'm writing my, my comprehensive exam for my doctorate right now on it. A, a golfer goes and plays from the white tees at name me a course in Chicago. Just give me a random one. Uh, Flossmore golf club. Perfect. Flossmore. And they shoot a, a 79. The next day, the same golfer goes and plays from the white tees at another, what, give me another golf course. Uh, down the street, Olympia fields. Perfect. Olympia fields. Their handicap score is going to be two very different things because the slope, the, the index, the rating, all the rest. So score is a really poor indicator of a golfer's success. If you're just measuring it on that. And I think the, 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 the little secret that we've found is there's that metric of fun. There's that metric of enjoyment. There's that metric of shooting around with your boss that you, you know, he shakes your hand at the end. And, and my buddy was like, dude, he was, he was pretty impressed. You know, it was, it was, it was awesome. So Kev, talk a little bit more about, you know, that aspect of the fun part. Yeah. So I think a good way to answer that question is with the question you met, like, you do our golf blueprints. You're one of our members. Does it feel analytic, analytics or analytical when you're doing it, when you're going through it? No. I, it, and that's what I, I know that it's in there. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. know that the, the, uh, the machine is controlling my behavior to some degree, but no, when I'm doing it, it's, it's, um, it definitely is more that freedom of just like, yeah, I'm running through my, even the name of your drills you know, make it fun. But, uh, but just, yeah, I guess my question comes from this. I know that there's a lot of data behind it. And so, you know, that, that kind of is, is very contrary to, to my nature. Yeah. Yeah. So like, maybe the joke is like, we try to be the matrix, right? Like <laughs> yeah. and, and speaking of names, we have a blast. We have so much fun coming. It is so me go like all the credit and all like, I'm the like academic, like writer, like writing very harsh, cold, like, like just to the point sort of stuff. And Nico like just comes in. It's like, Come on, man. No, we can do better than this. And yeah, dude, let, I, let me, let me look. Lil John, the three, six, nine. And Kev goes, 
wait, like Bill John? I was like, yeah, three six nine, damn good time. <laughs> I, I so let me run, let me run through for those that won't be familiar. I'll just run through a sampling of my own favorites from you know the few golf <laughs> oh, blueprints God. I've had. Uh, the Interstate, Three good Six one. Mafia, The Paven, Little John, Seven and Seven, and The Icarito. The Icarito. Uh, all, all things that like, you know, a lot of children of the nineties will probably appreciate most of those, but, uh, so yeah, who, who's, it sounds like Nico, you're the one that's coming up with these. No, it's, it's, everything is collaborative, but, but I throw out a lot of things and, and Kev is like our, our, you know, tempered one. Who's like, Hey dude, we can't call it that. I'm like, that's basically, he goes, he, he throws out five. I'm like, terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay. Uh, that's the one. <laughs> And a lot of them, like the Icarito, shout out to our boy Neil from No Laying Up. Like, like a lot of the cards are, are made either from requests or people that, like, like again, Golf Blueprint, like to make it so simple, it's solving a problem. The Icarito, man. Neil with the big right miss. Like he needed to find a way to hit the ball in a corridor, right? We always say with the Icarito, there's 400 yards left. There's short grass and there's tall grass. You just can't hit it in the housing track. And – learn how to do that that's where we talk about what is the 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 to, to go back to your question of what are we doing how are we helping you get better kevin i believe that the user the learner is the most important person in this kevin and i are not the ones that are making you better and we make that abundantly clear it's you the superstar hitting the golf shot learning how to do it because of the background in academia where we've learned people learn at their own pace more effectively than when someone is telling them how to do something. Sure. There are important facets of the swing. There are more effective ways to swing a club. Go tell that to Matt Wolf, go tell that to DJ's bowed wrist, go tell that to Jordan Spieth's chicken wing. I hope, I hope Spieth wins again. Kevin and I were talking about that before. Like we're big speed guys, but there's a lot of ways to skin that cat that we believe the user teaches themselves more effectively than we or any coach could ever. Yeah. And so as I said, coming back to your question and Matt, in terms of the analytics and going back to that thing of pushback, you know, maybe people look at what we do and would push it back. But I think one of the things Nico and I do really well, and this comes from our education background, you know, Nico's doing his, his dissertation and his PhD in learning theories. And a lot of people know a lot of my research is in the cognition world uh, in terms of math ed stuff where I, I'm well studying on the psychology uh, of learning. And Nico and I, like, just echoing what he said, first and foremost, we want, we want our members to look at us after six months and be like, I don't need you anymore because you've taught me, like, how to make myself a better golfer, right? Like, yeah, that's not a terrible business model, but that's like in terms of Nico and I doing our job, that's what we want it to be. So we don't want to be just nothing but analytics and spit analytics at you and this says this and now like you try to digest that. We know that's not going to work. That's not going to make golfers better. What's going to make them better is, yeah, we have the heavy analytics side, but we translate that in a way that people can go there and have have fun and just enjoy it and be creative. And, you know, I have to give Nico so much credit and all that, like his ability to think of the creative cards that we need with people, especially due to, due to him living a lot of time in Hawaii and having to play in 40 mile per hour winds and realize like, hey, golf isn't so much a number game when the wind's blowing 40 miles per hour. It's a can you hit a golf shot game? Um, and, you know, always interjecting that, hey, this is golf. Like we play it for a lot of reasons, but most importantly, we play it to like connect with people and have fun. So let's make sure everything we do at least 
least lets people have fun out there. You know, it, it sounds to me that, you know, so much of what you've done in the, the past, Kevin, with your um, uh, work with tour pros and college golf teams has been around just pure play analytics. This almost just the way you're describing is, is more academic where the analytics do support it, but uh, you guys have, let's go into that academic side. So the, the, you mentioned psychology and learning um, golf is the quintessential. Well, that's the way we've always done it in the industry. You know, I know that from all the thousands of conversations I have with people that, that work in the industry, it's just, there's a, there's a template out there and, and it's, it's well accepted. And, and that, that goes to how you play the game a lot. That goes to how you, you practice. So share maybe some examples of how people have practiced for hundred years, you know, of golf in this country, how people have gone about the way they practice and play that your learning theories and your, your time spent in the psychology of this stuff where you guys have said that just doesn't make sense. Like people don't learn that way. Um, is there some examples that just glare, jump out at you guys? You're like, we can't, we got to do it differently. Mm-hmm. All right, the easiest one, and it's going to go on, it's going to go on a putter cover of ours at some point, And it's my favorite line in the world. Golf is easy. The first time that I played golf and Kevin, I've literally worked this into every single foundational aspect. So like, yes, Matt, to answer your question, there are some really easy ones, but let's look at more of a meta version of this hitting a 92 mile an hour slider. When you don't know what's coming, you don't know what pitch he's going to throw. There's a thousand people screaming in the whole nine yards is really, really hard. The first time I personally stepped on a golf course and the ball didn't move, there was no umpire. There's no referee in the NFL. There's no coach telling me what to do. I was in full control of the outcome. Obviously, you know, the swing in the whole nine yards, but I looked at this sport and I said, wow, this is much easier than basketball, football, baseball, you know, swimming, whatever it was because I was in total control of my environment. So Kevin and I have really shifted the basic idea of golf being hard in most people's minds. Man, there's stress, there's pressure, there's all these things. And what if we just started from there? And Kev, talk, I, I know we've had a lot of conversations about that, about golf being easy, where obviously it's not. And, and believe me, I've made plenty of snowmen on par fives where you, know, <laughs> you want to break your club. But that kind of reshifting psychology idea of it has been huge for, for us. Yeah. And I think that spins into looking at practice less from a, for the, for, for the member, less from the lens of like, I'm doing this as a competitive venture to get better and become and win my club championship. Yes. There are several of us that do that. I'm one of those, right? Like, Love it. but most people like you think about like, well, a lot of people have been playing golf for 25 years and they've never gotten better, but they're still playing golf. So obviously they love golf for another reason other than that. And so getting people to see practice from that same lens, like, yeah, this ideally will help you improve, but most importantly, like going there, enjoying and feel like I got out of it, what I went there, what I went, went there to get out of it. Um, Right. So we think about most, like, let's go to the typical golfer, myself included, when I go to the range, what do I do? I walk up, I look around. Okay. It's not busy over there. They said a few wedges. What next? How about a nine iron? What next? Well, maybe six iron. Uh, missed a couple of drives last time. Driver. Look at my clock. Uh, okay. Well, I can go hit a few putts now. And you just kind of, then you walk away. Like, did I do what I was supposed to? Should I be here longer? Should I be here shorter? 
do I need to be here five days a week? I should, you know, if I want to get better, it should be five days a week where it's like, no, like practice is just another time to have fun, enjoy yourself, enjoy this, this lovely game that we have and chance to get better chance to like improve, but do it in a way that's really strategic in a way like, no, I can go and have, I can do three 45 minute sessions a week. That's it. And no, I did the work I needed to and still get better and also enjoy myself doing it and not feel like I'm taking away from golf. Right. Like, cause one of the worst thing Nico would always say, like when people are like, well, should I keep playing? We're like, if you got to make a choice, go play. hundred percent, like, go play. Like go we're never going to tell you not to play golf. Like we'd rather <laughs> you have you not buy golf blueprint and play seven days a week. Yes. Rather than buy golf blueprint and practice seven days a week. We'd rather have the opposite of that. And so we want people to look at practices on just another aspect of golf, right? Another, so they don't feel like they're sacrificing their playing time. It's like, no, this is another another way to have fun doing this thing we love. Um, and, that's a, and while walking away and saying, I did what I needed to do today. This is speaking on another level to me because uh, a lot of new clubs inspiration comes from the UK and Ireland and how they interact with the game. And I remember being a college kid over there who – yeah, I think it's a very American ideal to, to believe that if you don't suffer, if you don't put in the time and you don't have the pain, you don't get better. You got to pay your, your dues and you got to, you know, grind. The word grind was always the word that me and my buddies would say to each other at high school matches. You know, you get grind it out, man, grind it out. I, and I got over there and I met this group of Irish guys that were part of this club team and they could play, but they didn't use any of those words that I used, they did, they didn't suffer yet. They did practice, but it was way shorter than I ever practiced as a kid. And they smiled and had fun and had a beer afterwards. And I was like, what is this game that they're playing? Like it's real play. It's fun. So what, what you guys are saying, it's, it's, it's speaking volumes to me, man. That's, that's really neat that the psychology backs it up too. the psychology of grinding with the thing that we always think about grinding with a seven iron. That's like the most common thing. Like my game sucks. I'm going to go grind with a seven iron. What are you doing? Our psychology and our education literally tells you like you are better off going for a run because at that point you're just doing exercise and you're probably not helping. Maybe you find that, you know, a lot of guys are looking for that one feel or that one. Dude, those things are fleeting. That's a fleeting. You're chasing a thought or a feel or this or that. That's not a long-term strategy. I, I played a lot of poker and we use a lot of poker analogies in Kevin I's back end, where if you look at your bankroll over a season, you can't chase that one. You know, maybe you get some hot cards, maybe you get some, some wins, but that's not going to win you a year long way, which is how we think of golf blueprint. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get hot for a night, man, that's a Monday qualifier, right? Go make 33 pointers in a row. And like, you're the guy that qualifies. It's not golf blueprint. It's, it's a, it's a longer thought out thing where grinding every day. God, I would hate golf. I would hate golf. If I, if practice wasn't fun, if I didn't enjoy it, that's one of the biggest things people enjoy practicing. So they do it more. It's simple psychology. Yeah. It's amazing that we don't allow ourselves to, to, to do that though. So many people just, just feel like, um, that that punishment is like a necessary part of this and yeah. you know, i think you guys are saying it's not well you think about like one of the things nico and i love to say to every member is like you have a life like <laughs> our goal is that you don't get divorced you don't lose your job like all these things right like those are our first five goals is like 
you have a life and we have to be sensitive to that. Like Nico and I have lives, you know, we're, he's studying for his PhD while helping run this business. I'm you know doing my academic job while helping run this business. I have a wife that I love dearly and a CEO that you love dearly CEO that I want to spend as much time with as possible. And, you know, you don't want to sacrifice those things. So like, if you think about why a lot of people don't practice, it's like, well, there's also a lot of competing factors in their life. And if you're not enjoying it, if you don't feel like you're doing what you need to do to get out of it, then why would you ever do it? But if you feel like you're having fun with it and you can go enjoy it and also know like, okay, if I do this and this short time period, I'm going to have a blast. It's a lot. Like Nico said, they're probably actually going to practice more in that case. You know, that one of my favorite uh, McKenzie quotes, it relates to golf course architecture, but I think it's applicable to this discussion is that, you know, if people fall out of love, people all the time fall out of love with the game, not knowing why. And, and McKenzie took it upon himself. This says, you know, a lot of times it was the course that they're playing. And if I don't do my job as a golf course architect, then they will fall out of love with the game. So I have to keep it interesting and engaging and, and they won't even know, you know, they'll, they'll know that they are having fun. And they know that, that, man, I want to go, I got to, got to get back out to that course. You know, I got to play. And, and th- that was his job. But I think what's comparable to what you guys do is like, Hey, that that's also important. If, if somebody wants to get better, which we all do, we're all competitive creatures at the end of the day, nature takes over. Right. And we all want to get better. If we're blindly going down the pursuit of getting better and, and we stop having fun, well, one day you're just going to hit a wall and you go, you know what? I'm going to give up. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. I don't, I'm not a golfer anymore. Cause yeah. I'm not getting better or, or I just, I'm not, I'm not having fun. That's the real reason we quit is it's not fun anymore. Well, I think there's a comparison with the McKenzie quote too, with new club, right? Like one of the things that stands out with me, like you always have fun at a new club event. You're always guaranteed. It doesn't matter where you're at, where you're playing, what the weather is. I never forget that, that day in mammoth where the glass froze in the hand halfway down <laughs> the fairway as it's sleeting sideways. And I look back, I'm like, that was one of the most fun days of golf. I would have gone back out for 18 more holes in that sleet. And, and Matt knows for sure. And Nico, I don't that's think not that's, not Matt, that's not me. Like it's below 55 degrees. I'll stay inside a day. Like Nico keeps giving me a hard time. He's like, dude, you're not practicing at all. You're not, you know, posting any videos. I'm like, yeah, it's below 50 degrees. I'm not going out there. I'm like, I put, the club, I put the club away for two, two months, but no, like, when you're having fun and engaged in the game that way, like you want to be out there more, it wants to pull you back. And if Nico and I can accomplish that with golf practice, like we'll be, no matter where golf blueprint goes, if we can say we accomplish that, like we're going to be really, really happy. You know, it's, and it, it, you could, we could probably extend this to all aspects of the game, right? The, the, I've been surprised where, you know, we ask people in the application list out all the things that, that you find compelling about a good day at golf. And we find, what people give in a response isn't what we see in behavior and actions and what you're saying. So Kevin, you would have filled that out and you would have said, I like good weather. I don't play in bad weather. Like you would, you probably did. I'll, I'll go look at your application. 72 degrees and sunny, baby. Yeah. And no so, wind, zero wind. And no so, wind. So wind. You're, you're, <laughs> we would, if we would have just trusted you, we would have said, okay, don't put Kevin out there if it's below 72 degrees and sunny, but there you go. One of the worst days of weather that, um, I can remember. And, and you were in the heart of it, having a great match, had a really fun day. So we, we've seen that time and time again, things like weather, things like equipment. You know, I do think there's, there's a, a, a bit of a, um, too much emphasis on equipment and that if I just get that new driver, I'll be, I'll be better next year or, or I'll have more fun. I just got to update, man, this five-year-old club, 
And in practice, I see the opposite. I see a lot of people that pay the $500, they get it and they're upset. They're not hitting it better and they have less fun and they play less golf. And so we're not sponsored by any manufacturers, obviously, but I think, I think that's like, man, there's so many things in this game that people haven't thought hard, long and hard about, but you guys are like, and back to the practice world of what you guys have thought of. Uh, I wanted you to walk us through one of your favorite cards. Cause I think, I think we're talking very conceptually about stuff, but um, would you mind taking one of your favorite cards? We named a bunch of them already, oh boy. But, but just, just, just pick one of your favorites and, and describe exactly what, what the right. player does. I'll go first. I have my favorite one and a lot of our cards have a story and that's, I think why they're my favorite. Kev. I'll go first. Then you go. So this summer I was playing, uh, Shout out to the Silverleaf boys. I was caddying at Silverleaf a couple years ago and, and met the coolest group of dudes in Scottsdale. And we all played matches together. And, and every it was the most fun way I've ever played golf. Every Monday, 25 caddies would show up and we would play the golf course and you'd just pair up with two. And eventually two and two. And then it became like rivalries, right? So it was, you know, my partner's name was Caston, but everyone called him Bobby and everyone called me Shug. So it'd be Bobby and Suge against these two. And so at the end of it, we all played, uh, he and I are the two AMs. The rest of them were pros. So we played the AZ four ball. He had just met this girl, was in love with her two weeks before. And he went out and just hit it way too hard the night before the AZ four ball. We show up on the first tee and it is this par five that you pucker, right? Like you should hit a two iron. Dear God, if you hit a driver, hang on. He hits zero golf balls before he gets there. He's telling me about the greatest night he had of his life. He rolls the ball out on the first tee, hits a driver off the deck, like 290, and makes eagle to start. We are screaming. My favorite card is called the cast-in, and it's the driver off the deck. Every time I do it, I just have the biggest smile on my face thinking about it. And coincidentally, as we talked about before, Kevin was talking about face control. Man, if you can hit a driver off the deck, you can hit a driver, no problem. I love driving. That's my favorite thing. That's what is that? What does that card call the player to do? So, so you drop. It's literally just driver off the deck. Simple okay. as that. You pick a corridor. It's I think it's forty yards wide for that one because a little tighter. You're usually going to hit something. My driver off the deck goes 35, 40 yards less than my standard driver, and you're trying to hit it in a window. With driver off the deck, you can kind of shape the ball. I just try to hit a straight ball. Some guys will fade it. Caston fades it because he's a psychopath and he's that confident. I mean, maybe it was blind confidence at the time, but, but uh, you know, that's, that's my favorite. Kev. That's great. Yeah, I mean, talk about that's one that I don't think most people do normally <laughs> on the driving range. I've never, don't see many people dropping that. Kevin, do you have a, a card you could walk us through? I mean, I could go through a bunch. My, my typical that I do would be a little drier, but I'm going to give one that I think the, the listeners will maybe enjoy more. Cause I'm like, we have one called the shot shaper. It's just like a basic fade eight iron card that, you know, I like to do repetitively because I'm just a boring person and through a lot of, lot of stuff I do No, But one of my favorites, the good, the bad and the ugly so it's a chipping card because I think it, and the reason it's one of my favorites, I think it's one of the most overlooked things, especially in practice and in chipping. So the good, the bad, and the ugly is three balls. You choose three different lies. You give yourself a good lie. You give yourself a bad lie. And you give yourself an ugly lie. And by ugly, I mean like you th- like whatever whatever Patrick Reed wish his ball looked like at Torrey Pines. 
that's what this lie is going to be, right? Now, the good lie is probably what the lie Patrick actually had was before he took his drop. <laughs> um, no, like, so, like, you, like, you throw it down, you step on it, like, that third one is terrible. And you got to hit all three to the same pin. Um, so, shoot something, something realistic. Don't, like, make yourself hit a little flop shot to two feet of green on the ugly lie. But not a super easy, not a super difficult chip. And you just do all three and see, can you get – each one closer. So you hit your good one. Can you get the bad one closer than that? Can you get the ugly one closer than that? And then just recycle it. Uh, Cause I think it's just, you know, if you watch people practice and I know I was, I was this type of practice before Nico and I made that card, Like you sit there and you give yourself the same line, almost every chip shot that you do. You, right. So like yeah. this one forces you to just really keep working through different lies. And then you just learn to hit different shots depending on the you know, the, the slope, how the, how much green you have to work with, you kind of learn, well, when I get that little buried, you know, fried egg lie in the rough, like, what do I need to hit to that short pin? Or what do I need to hit to the back pin? You, you get to learn that shot. So um, on that card, I just want to add in the, to, to add in like the psychology behind that. I played baseball at UConn my last three years and Gino Ariema there's the most winning, you know, coach women in, in basketball, right? Gino is, is the goat of women's college basketball coaches pretty widely regarded. His girls weren't allowed to win in practice. And so when they got to the game, games were easy. There's a lot of psychology behind the cards. And, and, and it's funny that we laugh about the bad lie, but the more bad lies that you see in practice like that, you don't sweat it. One of the girls was my good friend and, and she would always talk to me. They played, there's, there's, they only played against men in practice and they would play six on five every day. So the girls were always just getting absolutely hammered. And granted, this is not golf blueprint. You talk about grinding, you talk about like status in practice. <laughs> we are not that, but the little psychology behind that. And Gino uh, talked to us about that was, look, you've got to get used to seeing things that are difficult. How many times do you go to a driving range and hit a seven iron off a mat and then you get out there and your ball is in a divot. Nobody practices hitting balls out of a divot. We do. It's important yeah. for us. Stuff like that. Yeah, we're making our big believers. Like, we don't believe in the word fair in golf. Like, no, <laughs> fair, no fair police, right? Like, golf is golf. You get variable lies. Like, whatever's in front of you, that's what makes the game fun, right? Having that variability. That's what, like, draws us, a lot of us to the game is that, man, that terrible lie I had back in that bunker and the shot I hit from there, right? Those are the ones you remember. Um, yeah. How, how many times do you see the, the player who's, you know, walking up to their ball that was striped down the middle of the fairway, 300 yards, and it's sitting in a divot. What, what happens? They slump their shoulders, look up at the heavens. Oh God, I'm getting screwed. Hmm. You know, I think it was Watson maybe always would say uh, when my ball's in an opportunity or when my ball is in a divot, it's an opportunity for greatness. Hmm. Some quote like that, but it uh it's true and if you haven't seen it before yeah you're gonna look up to the heavens be like what the hell do i do um and maybe maybe if you make it fun on the range you get it on the course it might be fun out there too that's that's interesting it's a low pressure place to be able to work on that there's no fans there's no crowd the game's not on the line and then after you hit the ugly one you go back to the good one and it creates that cycle right we're not telling you to, to work on this one that, you know, granted there are some cards and we will yeah. be fully full discretion. <laughs> there are a few, <laughs> Kev, you tell them about it. We, we got some, we, we call them psycho cards. Uh, <laughs> we know, we know there's a few of us out there that just like, 
need that impossible challenge and will practice for 12 hours on one thing, like try to solve it. Uh, if anybody was following the Instagram on us like two, three weeks ago, Nico decided to, cause we had a little bit debate. We're like, let's make this card. And I was like, Nico, I actually think you're making it too hard. <laughs> like, so he softened a little bit. And how long did it take? To, it was a double dunk. He had the, he had the double dunk. A hour and 21 minutes. And he's I, like, I'll get this done in 20 minutes. I'm like, there's no <laughs> way you're getting done in 20 minutes. Dude, it took me an hour and 21 minutes. I probably hit 300 chip shots. And I was on the verge of a mental breakdown. The range was closed. And my two buddies that are the pickers came out and just like, watched me because they felt so bad yeah, if anyone gets the slam dunk so that, yeah, that, that, that is that either means that, we you're does that mean it doesn't make the cut it doesn't make the final card count if it takes an hour and 20 20 minutes to complete yeah. or yeah. it's in our back pocket for if you get that card it's either we don't like you so you probably should just leave it <laughs> no. or like we know you're super competitive and you need it so you yeah. need that challenge it's it's the latter that's that's why we gave it to you so nico you mentioned pressure and I, that was one of the first things I noticed different from my own practice routine was you guys do simulate pressure in, in some cards. Um, how important is that in the design and uh, why didn't I get any pressure cards? Okay. So Kev talked about why you didn't get any pressure cards. I'll tell you the simulating the pressure each user's cards there's a little bit of psychology behind there. And I mean a little bit, I mean a lot. What we send you in your survey are very benign questions to the person that is being asked. Think about a Myers-Briggs where there are a lot of very benign questions that Kevin and I pull out a lot of data from, right? The way that you answer questions, the, what your favorite shot you've ever hit is, tells us a lot about you as the individual. And simulating pressure, some people, and and we can get into the whole psychology behind golfers and, and whatnot, but some cards are designed to simulate pressure because standing on the first tee, I know everyone's hit one of these tee shots where like the starter booth is right there. Everyone is eating lunch and you got to hit a driver down the middle. There's a little bit of inherent pressure in there. So some cards are designed, but we're not going to put you through a 60 minute session where every shot's a pressure shot. Golf isn't like that. It's not, there's not a situation in golf where 60 minutes of like, Oh God, I mean, maybe Sunday at the masters, but even those guys, like it's not a thing. Right. So, so there's going to be some that have it. Some that don't Kev talk about why Matt doesn't. <laughs> Cause you oh, can't, handle, maybe I don't want to handle the pressure. Can't handle it. <laughs> Get out of the kitchen. I would quit. I'd quit the game. <laughs> so like there, there's two, there's, two thoughts on this too, in terms of like, okay, when like we roll out pressure, one is like, we're always taking the, the macro view of someone's practice and progress, right? So we're going to flow them in and out of pressure situations, depending on what season we're in and out. Like, so in your case, that's okay. Let's give a, a concrete example of that. You're in, it was January in Chicago, like just not a time to really be worrying about pressure, right? right. We can two, it two feet of snow and I'm, I'm hitting chip shots at the yeah. kids' soccer. Yeah, like soccer we, we got plenty of time to ramp it up as we do the updates to your, your golf blueprint and you'll get more pressure put in, especially as you build into like, you know, that May through sort of August season where you're in the high pressure situations, right? There's no reason to like slam pressure in January when you're four months from a tournament. It just doesn't make a lot of, a lot of sense for, for some people. Now, and then in your case, and thinking Wiley too, Nico, like he mentioned, like we think of the personality of, of the person. So 
some people don't have to have a lot of pressure, specific pressure cards in their golf blueprint to feel pressure practicing. They can self-impose it, right? Other people, so this is more specific to your case, like you play with a lot of zen too, right? So with like your first golf blueprint is like, we want to embrace that zenness um, is something that we want to do to get you just used to the golf blueprints. Got it. Yeah, no, that, that actually checks out. That's That makes total sense. Um, On that front, the 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 zen and the idea of that we're not trying to change anybody if that makes sense golf blueprint is not trying to change you we're trying to take what you do well and make it better yeah like we're net matt we're never going to make you into you know like the nlu boys talk about killers and dogs right like we're not going to make you into some like sociopath you know, that only cares about winning and winning at all costs. Like that's not going to ever be you. Why would we push you into 12 cards a week that are the fluke, the slam dunk, you know, a shot shaper card, like Kevin, and I can design cards. Honestly, it's like a personal trainer. Like They can break you, you know, <laughs> my, my, my freshman year weights coach, like, like, trust me, I was on all fours. Like you won dude. But what did that accomplish? It did. It did nothing for me. We'd rather take you and make Matt better at what you're doing and being mellow and chill and enjoying the game, enjoying the walk. And maybe you flush a five iron into a back right pin and you know, you make birdie there, but that's not going to change your life. That's not going to make you a better person or a worse person. Us ruining you in practice won't help you. Mm Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot to uncover there. Cause you got, I know there's people, um, there's probably a, a few sadists listening that are like, no, break me, please, <laughs> you know, please. I want to start from new. I want to be a new person. I don't like myself anyways. <laughs> Dude, they need therapy, not golf. Blue <laughs> yeah, that's where like you get a nice referral. Yeah. Like, like a blanket, a puppy and like somebody who's just has a soothing voice to talk to Like we yeah. are not for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rounding out on the golf blueprint questions. Um, I want to talk about visualization because that was another thing that when I had my first card, I started to notice that, wow, I'm practicing with visualization. So how intentional was building cards that required the player to see something that's not there? Okay. I'll start from the basic and Kev can get into the, the visualization aspect of it. We don't know what your driving range looks like. We don't know where you're practicing. So starting from like solving the most basic problem, Kevin, and I try to solve the most basic problem first and then build from there. We don't know what targets you have. We don't know where you're hitting. We're not there with you. That's one downside of golf blueprint is that Kevin and I are not physically with you. It's also the best in terms of learner theory, the whole nine yards, but we have to start from there solving that problem of, we don't know the facility that you're in. So we have to get creative. I'm not with Kev at Athens country club. Kev's not with me in Kauai. My range in Scottsdale is very different than my range it is here. Although it's big and beautiful, we have very few targets to hit at, at my range here. You have to be able to see imaginary things out there and go at them. So Kev, then talk about the visualization aspect in in that regard. So, and then think about, okay, what actually translates to the golf course? One of the the worst things we can do with our practice is be passive and just hit balls, right? Just like Nico brought up, just work on this field. I'm going to hit 25, seven irons doing that. Well, when you go out onto a, the par three with that back right pin, you're not like, oh, I'm going to work on that field and do that, right? You're trying to see that little soft baby fade or maybe a soft draw to the center of the green. And that's what you're trying to visualize and see. 
So well, what's the best way to be prepared to hit that, let's say that soft fade on that par three to 20 feet, you know, left of that pin? Well, is to visualize that shot on the range. And that's because circling back on wedges, that's one of the other reasons we work on wedges so easy or so much, not so much, but we really get intentional with them is because that's a great time to work on that visualization and that feel. So when you go out onto the golf course, what we want you to say is when you have whatever shot it is, you're like, I have that shot. I know I have that shot because I just hit it for five minutes up during my golf blueprint, right? That's our goal for you. Um, and then even specific to visualization, that's something we have to do on the golf course, right? Like we have all these things competing for our attention, but when we're trying to hit to that pin, well, we might be picking out that bunker or that tree in the background, right? We're doing all these things that we're picking and targeting. So if we can help you do that on the range, that's going to translate to the golf course as well. I think that was one of my favorite cards. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I, there was two, two yardages, 90 yards and 110. Uh, pick your clubs for both of them. And then you have to hit two different shots to each of them. One. And, and I think you kind of give the option in the language you guys use. It's like, uh, um, you know, three quarter shot or a, a flighted shot. Mm-hmm. Right. And just the language of flighted got me thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to hit this one a little bit lower into that. You know, I can use the same club to both those yardage yardages or both clubs to both yardages, but I have to visualize a lower ball flight coming in uh, for one of those shots, which I, I, I really enjoyed that card bouncing back and forth between those, those two visualizations. Um, for sure. And you notice how Kev was talking about aiming, you know, hitting that soft fade in there, that back, right. I was just seeing a big old slinger hook at the pin. <laughs> <laughs> You're seeing something different. <laughs> Kevin, I crack up about that. Yeah. Kev will be like, all right, you know, we're going to work on this like pin target and Kev, like my playing partners out here cry laughing. They go, where are you aiming? Go, the pin. They're like, like, no, like I'm trying to make it. <laughs> yeah, nothing exists but the pin for Nika. It's like Kevin Costner in that Pip the Pitcher movie where all we saw was like the catcher's glove exactly. and Nico in, in uh, golf. It's like everything disappears but the pin, no matter where he's at. Shout out to the mini tour golf scene in Arizona where you know it's two, just two sixty two or go home. <laughs> oh, you shot sixty six, sick dude! Like you came t seventeen, beat it. <laughs> This is, uh, I think this is a good uh, transition. One last segment Uh-oh. for you uh, that we're doing for all guests this year. And it's 18 questions. Oh, uh, right now, the tagline, my wife doesn't like it. She wants me to change it to something else, but I call it the 19th soul. And okay. it's 18 questions to reveal the soul of the golfer. How we arrived on this is I adapted the 35 questions written by Marcel Proust who is a French novelist, yeah. uh, one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. He, uh, he came up with these questions to attempt to get the truest nature of an individual. Well, I'm not, I'm not as curious as that. I want to know about the golfer. So the soul of the golfer uh, through these, these 18 questions. Now, I don't want to put you both through all 18. So I, I'm hoping w- one of you guys take the front nine, the other takes the back. Does that sound good? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm worried my, my conflicted soul, the analytics, and then the like, romantic is going to like short, short circuit. During the- <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I think the beauty of these questions, they're not, there's no stumpers, but they're all pretty quick responses. I think for the most part, there's a couple you'll have to think about, but Hey, can we play all shot here? Hey, let's play all shot. You want to do all shot? All sure. Shot. All right. So who wants to go? Number one, Nico, uh, you do this off. You're yeah, you're way better hitting T balls, dude. That's true. I, I hit the first T ball in play. We, we, we yeah. Like Lord knows. Here. And you're, and, you're the, and you're the closer, so. All right, Kevin. Are you ready? 
Let's do it. When were you and your golf the happiest? When are me and my golf the happiest? When were you and your golf the happiest? The first time I walked on the Sweetens Cove number one. Interesting. With Nico, my dad. Nico, what's the scariest golf shot? Oh, boy. I'd hit a three-wood at the Arizona Mid-Am in front of like three people on the first tee. I don't like hitting cold three-woods. I don't like a cold three-wood on the first tee, dude. It was so scary. I was, I, I was shaking. I, I can confirm. I can confirm. He tells that story a lot. And he called me the that right when he walked off the 18th hole. And that's the first thing he told me about. Dude, I freaking striped a three-wood. Made bogey, but it was sick. <laughs> I, don't, I try not to interrupt these unless I get a really good answer. I think that's a really good answer. I've never heard anyone say a cold three-wood, but that oh. is a really scary shot. Uh, he, he would talk about like the day leading up to it too. Like he was like, I don't think he slept the night before knowing he's like, I would rather start on any other hole. Dude. I was like, I, I want to hit a two iron, but I was like, if I hit a two iron, I'm making six. Like I have to hit a three wood. Kevin, number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Ooh, yeah. I got, I give two parts as a kid, Reese's cups. I mean, that's, in a Mountain Dew all the time, but I've learned how I've learned how that's not a productive lifestyle. Um, so I, mean, I just think not that it's better, but a good old hot dog and a and def, probably transfusion. We're just gonna roll with that for the back nine. Delicious. Number four, Nico. What is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? My sister's mellow, and she played college golf. I am a lot of things in life. Mellow is not one, dude. Not at all. Man, like my poor mother when I was five, like I had ADD and like I still do. And I'll be out there and I just like my, I just think about the most bizarre things. Yeah, I wish I, I, can I say like not being mellow is that? Is that an acceptable answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin. I'm going to ask you number six because I know number five is too, or I'm going to mix it up. What is the trait you most deplore in other people's golf game? When they put themselves above everybody else. Good one. And, and all the like, you name away, just when they think they're bigger than the game, the other people, that sort of thing. Super good one. Nico, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Supportive. So here's what I look for in a playing partner, a regular playing partner, somebody I'm going to play with on a day-to-day basis. I want them to support my game as much as I support theirs because I don't want to be competitive with people that I play with on a day-to-day basis. I want to get better and I want them to get better. And I don't mean supportive, like motivational coffee cups, like, Oh, great shot. I mean like, Hey man, like I'm trying to beat you. You're trying to beat me. But at the end of the day, like I, I hope that you shoot your best round and I hope I shoot my best round and, I beat you by one or you beat me by one. Uh, number seven, back to you, Kevin. What what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Oh, thank God you asked him. Oh, man, what words are... <laughs> thank God. I probably talk to other people's balls too much. Like, <laughs> get up, go. 
looks good. Like, I don't think there's one word I use too much, but I definitely need to keep my mouth off other people's balls. That, that. Dangerous <laughs> endeavor talking on Dangerous. other. But I love, a, I love, a, I love just that. Like right at golfers, we don't say, I guess the one I do just shot, right. We don't say nice shot. We just go shot. <laughs> I probably say that one too much. <laughs> the, the shorthand version. Good yeah. <laughs> Your own language. The guy's like, I dumped it in the bunker and you told me good shot. I'm like, well, shot. <laughs> acknowledge he hit a shot <laughs> shot uh number eight nico what golfing talent would you most want to have such a good one uh kevin's driver ability to hit it in the fairway because he does okay there's a there's a video of him hitting a ball at sweden's cove that i've watched we have like not that many views on instagram i think 400 of them are from me there's this person who's like 60 yards in front of him and he just like Gets up there with this ugly sweater scarf combo thing. I don't know how you hit the ball. And he flushed it. And I was just like, I would have been up there like, guys, like, like, move. <laughs> like, yeah. Kevin that confidence, that confidence to hit it where it's got. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Kevin, um, what is your most treasured golf possession? I'm going to give two. I'm going to cheat. And they're both memories that have been incredibly influential with me. So, Going back to the, the visit with dad to Sweetens Cove to share that with him, like, and that was when I was coming back. So this actually bookends really well. Wow, this makes a nice little arc. So coming, that was me coming back to the game. That was like the moment where I was fully back, just going there and I'd been starting to play more. And then just having that weekend with him was phenomenal. And on the, the front end of that, the prelude to that was the trip to Ireland with you. Um, like that was when I was falling, you, as you know, while well, I was falling out of love with the game. And soon after that, I wouldn't be playing. I wasn't going to be playing golf anymore. But I think that experience without that, I don't know if I would have came back or came back as quick. But that like lingered um, the, the trip we shared together um, with some other fun people, too. Was it the sweater that I stole that you wanted to get out of the? the that's uh, the that's program? still waiting. To, I'm looking around eBay every day for that one. So it's Listen to your, that your favorite, your most treasured possession is something that I possess. That's what exactly. <laughs> Where was that? Was that? Is it Carnoustie? You stole a sweater? I, I don't know. Royal Port Rush. It was Port Rush. Yeah. We all know where it was. <laughs> I just, hey, it was chilly out. I knew he liked it. I, I don't have good taste, so I figured I'd go with whatever <laughs> Kevin liked. All right, we made the turn. You guys, you guys are on the clock, by the way. Our, right. our pace is a little... Nico, if anyone gets this far, by the way, like, miracle. My mom is going to listen at this point, but, like, other than that, like, yeah. hey, guys... <laughs> Hence the end. Make this a two-parter, never release a second part. <laughs> Number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? All right. I'm going to expose myself here because everyone makes fun of me for it. I have a detachable club scrub right here that everyone makes fun of me for. <laughs> like, I don't know why everyone hates it, but like, I have one. And like everyone makes fun of me. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, that actually, I gotta think about that because it's kind of a faux pas to have that on the bag, right? Everyone makes fun of me, but like, I don't have a caddy, caddy for myself. Like, I want to go through. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> Kevin, what is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Oh, um, well, I don't know if this is what you meant by the question, but superintendents, I mean, thank you, super. Like, they are the lifeblood of golf and, 
because uh, I was going to take it like my like occupation that I like to like hold when I'm at a golf course and complain about the trees and the lack <laughs> of width and stuff like that. But on that same note, like the supers and what they do, um, uh, and I'm architects too, just anybody that's involved with building and keeping golf courses because the grounds of the game, I mean, they're, they're the life and soul of this game. They'll, they'll live well beyond us and yeah, Amen. anything that takes care of them. Number 12, Nico, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? I haven't really played with anybody that's famous. No, I'm trying to think about it. No, I don't think I've ever played with anybody that's been famous. <laughs> uh, 13, Kevin, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Probably Bobby Jones. Just personality, what he wanted to do to the game and like, eventually building golf courses with, you know, for tournaments and other people to have play and like the way he went about this business, you know, playing golf and really the way he thought about the game, probably, probably him. Another academic makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Number yeah. 14, Nico, what is your greatest golf regret? Abandon. I went with my dad, same way with, with Kev, uh, like a dad trip. My dad and I don't get to spend a ton of time together, just busy schedules and whatnot. We went to Bandon together and I wished we could have played the preserve one more time. We ended up like having to catch an earlier flight. It was just like a great weekend together. I was really sick. I had mono and I just didn't have the physical energy to, to walk anymore. I was so tired, but I wish we could have spent like one more afternoon out there just chilling, drinking a transfusion and, you know, watch the sunset. But I just like physically couldn't get through it. Love it. Um, the, Kevin, I've asked you this question before, so I'm going to jump to the next one, uh, which is similar, but different. What is your least favorite hole in golf? I figured that's where you're going. Oh, oh, least favorite hole. Can I add in on this one too? Cause I want to publicly shame this place as much as possible. <laughs> well, you got, you have the flip side of it, Nico. We, I will, I will not want to know what your favorite hole in golf is. Okay. Least okay, so I think I, I mean, there's several. I don't want to throw anything under the bus, so I'm going to stay away from a couple that I, I, I value the course overall or whatever. But there's this you might remember the course in Ohio, there's a double dog leg, just a hideous golf hole. Like, I played with your brother, the Z hole that we I played. Are with you talking brother. about the Z hole, the Z hole par five? Yeah, yeah, like it's just a double dog leg. Like you hit like a seven iron, and you hit like a nine iron, and you hit like a seven iron. It's just Brandywine, like, Brandywine Golf Club in yeah. Peninsula. It's within the national park. I think that's what you're talking about. I think that's because I played with a tournament with your brother, and that it doesn't exist anymore. It's it's overgrown. They, Good. They, they let it die. Let it die. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all, all for golf. Like I don't want any golf courses to close. Like. Hey, seeing that, but that one, that, that hole alone, it needed to, it needed to go. Yeah. That's a good one. Nico, uh, your favorite hole in golf. All right. My one's super simple. It's the 12th hole, Kikuyula, Kauai. It's not an ocean hole, which is pretty interesting. Uh, it's lava on the left, really beautiful bunker complexes. The cool thing is for shorter, I don't really like long par threes. This gives like a shorter player. It's always downwind. So it's like 165 from the back. Shorter players hit a nine iron in. Sometimes I'll hit a, a gap wedge, but the way the light hits this, it, it, if I had to play one hole for the rest of my life, I would just hit nothing but a wedge into that 12th hole. Kukuyula. Interesting awesome. to note since starting this on our new season, every answer has been a par three. 
Makes sense, dude. Oh, interesting than that. Number Makes seven. Sense, People love them. They're memorable. Yeah. That's right. Uh, number 17, Kevin, one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life. What is it? And we can start with, do you listen to music on the golf course? I, I do. And I, I've recent, be, recently been hooked on aeration. I got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I, I don't want to be a cliche, though, and just say, like, what I'm currently listening to, because I, I got to give that. I got to let that one simmer a little bit. Uh, you know what? A song that I just love. I play it on the golf course a lot. Just anytime the song comes on, I vibe. It's Beast of Burden. Like, uh, such, yeah, such a good song. Love the lyrics. Love the message in it. Um, just, yeah, I'd probably just play that one on repeat. I like it. And Nico, number 18, last question. If you had a motto, what would it be? Ride the lightning, 100%. <laughs> that deserves a head cover. One hundred percent, dude. Like golf blueprint, we ride the lightning. We bet on ourselves constantly, and that has been my life motto from the time I've been little. I thought you were going to go with your uh, your artist book cover. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, for for those of you who who don't know, I got a. I reached out to this company, and I was like, "Hey, I want to get a yardage cover made." Like, what do you want on it? And I said, I want the Puma from Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. And it's on the front and it says me on the bottom. And then when you flip the cover <laughs> for where you look at it, it says, I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I wake up in the morning and I piss excellence. <laughs> and that's what I look at every time I look at my yardage book. <laughs> keeps it light. Keeps you, keeps you focused too. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, well, gentlemen, I... Um, Thank you both for joining the podcast. Uh, I thank you both for being members of New Club. You really are, you know. And thanks for dressing, yeah, dressing alike today for the the pod. That was that was cute. Um, but seriously, you guys are great members. Everybody that you know, uh, you're not local to uh, Chicago or Atlanta. I know Kevin's close to Atlanta, but you guys uh, meet up all the time with people that are traveling. So I encourage any members listening to reach out to you guys um, and and send you a note, drop you a line, and look into Golf Blueprint. Uh, I think my last question for you on, on that note is, you know, when people do become members of golf blueprint, what, what's kind of the expectation, you know, give them kind of like a, a last minute, like what, what should they expect if they were to sign up? Kev, you want to hit them with the, the, the kind of elevator pitch of it and I'll close this out. Yeah. So when they sign up, they get a quick member profile that they, uh, that we need them to fill out. So we get a sort of that Myers-Briggs background information to, to tailor the plan to them. Once we get that in place, uh, Nico and I's build schedule, I think typically we've been, what, about a week, week or so build build time on per each person's uh, golf blueprint. And we get that delivered to them right now. We're just operating through email, getting them a nice document that they can open up on their phone, computer, print it off if they want, whatever's easiest for them. And then we just put them on a cycle. So each each week, we, you know, we or each month, we tweak the algorithm um, and then and then uh, send them a new plan each month to keep them keep them fresh. I think you can expect us to keep getting better. I think if you started with us six months ago, where we were, we keep getting better. And Kevin and I are pretty obsessed with this as is evident. And I just hope that people stick with us and, and give us a chance to get better because we're still new and we're learning and we need, we need people's help, right? Like we need user data. We need people to sign up. We need people to try us and our early adopters. We always call them our OGs, man. Like we're so grateful. We got to shout out our boy Lonnie. An, an, an OG new club, new club Lonnie making new gains. Club Lonnie. Lonnie's made some serious gains, dude. An OG legend 
who stuck with us. And inspirational. We're so, yeah, seriously. Like we love, like we're, we're just grateful, right? We're grateful to have the chance to do this and buy merch and, <laughs> and, and like post cool videos on the internet. Like I pinch myself every day that Kevin and I make money from this now. Yeah, between Lonnie, I mean Yankee Dave. Speak, Shout out Yankee. He loves Dave. joggers. Loves joggers. Let's let's remind everyone of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's um, it's obviously come a, a long way in a short period of time, guys. So congrats on it and uh, keep it keep it rolling. We need more good positive positivity around the game. So um, we'll be seeing you soon. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, fellas. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The bag drop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. Golf Blueprint is the official partner of this year's spring meeting at Sweetens Cove. Started by fellow new club members, Kevin Moore and Nico Doris, Golf Blueprint creates research-driven improvement plans tailored to your game. If you are a member of new club, you can sign up directly in the app for your exclusive Golf Blueprint membership. You will receive six Golf Blueprint practice plans delivered monthly at a 25% discount. If you are not a member of new club, head over to golfblueprint.com and start your improvement plan today.